Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. This week's message comes from Christ the King Sunday, the Sunday that ends the Christian year and on which we remember the primacy and lordship of Jesus before we begin the anticipation of Christ's birth that is Advent. In this year's Christ the King sermon, Pastor David Cartwright explores what it means for us to say that Christ is King and calls for us to joyfully choose Christ as King of our lives. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. Let us continue to read from Colossians in chapter 1, this time reading at verse 9. Read with me, please. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O God, in these moments, may your Holy Spirit abide in our midst so richly that our hearts and our minds are fully attentive to you. May it be your voice that is heard today, your truth that is received. Grant, Lord, your Spirit to lead me so that the words I speak are words of your truth, seasoned with love and grace, spoken in simplicity so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. We give you and only you the praise and the glory for every good thing we experience here. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be um, aware that this Sunday, today, is the end of the Christian year. The Christian year has a cycle to it. It begins in Advent, which begins next week. So when we arrive in worship next Sunday, we will be at a place of celebrating New Year's, the new Christian year. Uh, Advent is a season of anticipation as we look forward to the, the giving, the coming of the birth of Christ. The Christian year begins and ends with anticipation because we are a people of hope and expectancy. We anticipate that God is, has, and is going to act in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come to this uh, day on the Christian year that usually if you look at, uh, at a Christian year calendar, the, the last Sunday of the year is, is most often labeled Christ the King Sunday. It is kind of a a coming full circle from the birth of the Christ child to a reminder that there will be a day that comes 
when that same Jesus will come again and we will see him and behold him in all of his majesty and glory. And so that's kind of the cycle of the Christian year. And so we come here today with that in mind, that uh, you're just kind of thinking of that this, this king is going to return. And I would invite you to think today about what kind of king this is. Because yes, and I know you're probably exhausted by now of being reminded of this, but you know we are fresh off of an election. You remember that, don't you? The dust hasn't even settled yet. We, we do this. It, it's, a, it's a regular cycle. Every two years, every four years, we, we have these events called elections, and we, uh, we, we have candidates who step up and they say, I want to be your, your leader. And typically, we, as the people of, of a nation and a state and a community, we respond uh, kind of along a spectrum, anywhere from holding our nose, saying, I really don't like any of them, but I'm going to go vote, just like I have to pick one, all the way to, I mean, like, this is my guy, and, and I just I can't wait for the polls to open so I can run and, and vote for him. You know, so like somewhere between those two things are, is our response, okay? And it doesn't matter what candidate. It's just like that's kind of where we usually fall. You know, very often it's, uh, well, kind of somewhere in between. You know, I'll have one that I like better than the other. But these, these people who want your vote are, are, are saying, I want to be your leader. I want, I want to be the person that helps to take you as a body of people down the road. And, and, and in a sense, we are, we are giving them a, a, a measure of our approval, of our endorsement to say, and kind of, sort of, okay? I know I'm really treading like this is real precarious ground. So if, it fe if you think, man, he's really walking on eggshells, I am. <laughs> but kind of what we're saying is, like, I'm endorsing you because I believe you're the person that's going to lead us in the direction that I want, that I think we ought to go. Okay, and so we kind of assent to our agreement to the direction that they want to lead us. And why am I talking about that in a Christian worship service? Because, in the same sense, we respond to the person of Jesus Christ. We, we assent to who he is, what his kingdom is about, his purpose, his direction, because he stands before us and says, you have a choice as to whether you will endorse me as the sovereign king of your life. And if you do, this is the direction that my kingdom is going to go, but the choice is yours. And it's good for us to kind of think of that because we should be convinced that he is a king worth following. I mean, not just moderately, like, yeah, I think he's, you know, you remember the old Doobie Brothers song, you know, Jesus is just all right with me. And if you don't want to confess that you know that in church, that's okay. 
but I remember that. It, it's, it should be more than Jesus is just all right with me. It is, it, it, it is to be a Jesus is my all in all. He is the one worth following, hands down, no other, with all of my heart, with all of my resources, with all that I am, I give it all to him. And the text of Colossians gives us a great opportunity to kind of think about who that Jesus is. The section of text that we read is, if you read it from verse 9 through verse 20, the first part of it is a prayer for the church, but it's based on who Jesus is, which is described in the second part of the text. So the first part of the text is kind of found, founded on the second part of the text. That's why I read it out of order. And that's why I'm going back through it out of order. This is a rich text. You, I, I'm going to tell you, if I get you out of here by 11 o'clock, you should thank me. This text is so rich, we could be here for a long time, and I don't plan on keeping you, I understand that. But I want you to walk through this text with me again. Let, let's kind of think about this, uh, starting back at verse 15. We're going to walk back through this. And, and I'll just kind of frame this for you because we're going to be looking at three things about Jesus Christ. Okay, number one, who he is. Secondly, what he has done for us. And thirdly, what he does in us. Who he is, what he has done for, her, for us, and who he, what he does in us. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Go back with me, if you will, to Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there, okay? You'll, you'll remember because there was a point at which God created. Okay. Even that boggles our minds because we can't even say that it was a point in time because before that there was no time. But there was a definite point at which God said, the building project is about to get started. But even before the Father said, let there be light, there was an approval of the building project. The Father went to the Son and laid out the plan of creation to Him and said, here it is. And the Son said, I approve. There is not a meteor, uh, a, a planet, a, a star in some, some far-off galaxy that the sun would say, I, I didn't give an endorsement to that. Everything in creation, the sun has approved. All things were created through him, 
by him, which means the Son with the Father is a participant in the creation of all things, and for him. Can you get your mind around that? Through him, by him, and for him. It goes out from him, and it comes back to him. God says all of this, all of these things. When you stand on a, on, on a beautiful Texas evening and you see that sun go down and, and you say, God, how in the world did you paint such beautiful colors? Do you know who that beauty was for? It's for Jesus. It's for you also that you might give glory back to God. But the beauty in that, that's for the sun. The, the majesty of, of, a, of a mountain range, the, the glory of, of, a, of a cloudless night where you can stand with no ambient light and you can look up in the heavens and you can marvel at the glory of God. All of the majesty, all of the beauty in creation is for the Son that He is given glory. And you might ask, why are, you, why are you making so much of this? Because the Bible does. So that you understand what is called the preeminence of Christ. If you have a study Bible that has uh, uh, section headings in front of paragraphs, somewhere in Colossians here, it's very likely that you will have a heading that says the preeminence of of Christ, or it might say the supremacy of Christ, or something like that. Preeminence is a great word. You might think, I kind of know what that means. I get the gist of it. I, I like often to look up words. The, the online version of Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines preeminence as the paramount rank, having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. Having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. When we talk about the preeminence of Christ, it means he is above not, all, not many things, not most things, all things. Paul even here goes on to say that you know whether there are thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of these things, these self-important worldly leaders who, you know, who, who believe themselves to be so supreme that they are beyond any, any rule. Do you know how Jesus looks at that? It, it is as if to say, you would have no power. He said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you. Pilate thought himself to be such a powerful ruler. You go on up the chain, all the way up to Caesar, who saw himself as so supremely sovereign. All of those empires throughout the world history, all of the leaders who have seen themselves so highly, they are all just small players to a king who sets over all things. Paul says in verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He gives cohesiveness to this world. How often do we look at the world and think, oh my gosh, it's all falling apart. And how many times in the past two months 
Have you been very adequately reminded that God is not wringing his hands over this? Things are not spinning out of control. All things in our creation hold together in the person of Jesus Christ. When we're trying to figure things out, do you know who holds all things together? Jesus Christ. He's the one that puts it all together. All things created through him, by him, for him. And, and just so you know that Paul didn't dream this up by himself, hear with me what the gospel writer John says. And you can find, find this in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This, this Jesus sits so supremely over all things. Not only is he sovereign over and in all creation, he is so in the church. Paul says in verse 18, he is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And you can hear the repetition in all of this. First, 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 top, top, top. Okay, Never, ever is he in a place other than first. Firstborn from the dead. Someone who, is, um, who comes forth and, as a redeemer. Also a revealer. Paul began this section saying he is the image of the invisible God. That, that, that perfect representation. And then he says in verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness. The fullness of what? The fullness of deity. The fullness of God. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Do you realize what a, what a privilege and a blessing it is that we have in our Scripture what we call the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels? All of the Scripture is authoritative, God-breathed. It, it is important for us, for, for doctrine, for teaching, for coming to know God's will. But man, those Gospels that describe the person of Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus spent his last evening with his disciples before he went to the cross of Calvary, he was having this intimate dialogue with them. And John records this in, in John chapter 14. Philip, one of his friends, said to him, just show us the Father and it is enough for us. And, and, and Jesus turned to Philip and said, have I been with you for so long and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you look at the person of Jesus Christ, you understand what God is like. And I'm not saying to you that, that it's even possible for us to fully comprehend this Creator, God, the Heavenly Father. You know, He is beyond our comprehension. But on the other hand, to say that God is just unknowable, is absolutely not what the Christian faith teaches. God is very well knowable, mostly in the person of Jesus Christ. He gave us this person of Jesus Christ, allowed the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in Him so that we could look at the person of Jesus Christ, watch Him live, listen to Him teach, and say, this is what God is like. This is what God's purpose is about. This is what His kingdom is like. So when we look at Jesus, 
we understand God. What a gift that is to us to have God reveal himself to us with such clarity that we can look at Jesus and have such a, a wonderful understanding of who God is. And then lastly in that section in verse 20, it says that, he, that through Jesus, he, that God reconciled all things back to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Let's just think about the scope of this for a moment. If there's anything in this universe that is wrong between it and God, it is made right in the person of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. Anything in creation, if it is wrong with God, between that and God, it is made right through the cross of Christ. He is the absolute perfect Redeemer. This is who he is, and this is not the only snapshot of it. I would reference for you Ephesians chapter 1. Read, read kind of the last part of that chapter because it's a kind of a, a reflection of the same thing. This is who, when we talk about Jesus Christ, this King, this is that supreme person who we worship. But let's think also about what he has done for us. And Paul talks about this in verses 13 and 14. He says, therefore, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He rescued us. Does your Bible translation use that word? I hope so. Rescued. Do you know what it implies about you if you need to be rescued? It means that you have exhausted your own power. If you have the ability to, to get yourself out of whatever mess you're in, you don't need rescued. You can do it yourself. Rescue, being rescued means I'm, I'm in the water and I'm going down, my strength is spent and I can't stay up any longer. It means I'm adrift on the sea with no way of getting back to land. It means I am absolutely helpless to remedy the painful and dire situation that I find myself. When, when, when Paul says that he rescued us, it means he reached down into our helplessness in order to act on our behalf. This is where we kind of feel a little bit violated because... There aren't a whole lot of us to like to think of us being in need of being rescued. We're prideful people, you know. We, we know we're not perfect people, but we like to think that we can get ourselves out of our situation. But when it comes to our brokenness before God, the gospel tells us we can't fix it. We have to be rescued. And that's why Paul uses this terminology in here in verse 13 that it, where he says he rescued us out of the domain of darkness. And that word there in my translation that says domain is that word that Carol spoke about a couple of weeks ago when she talked to you about authority. In, in the Greek is ekousia, that, that, that authority under which we were being held, the authority of the dark powers. It was holding us without us being able to escape from it. Okay? Do you know the only thing that can break authority? 
a higher authority. You've seen this in TV shows. I know you have. You don't have to say amen. I just know you've seen it. You know, it's the criminal investigation or that, you know, whatever's going on and the, the state uh, officials or the local municipality officers, you know, they're doing the investigation. Then what happens when the feds come into town? You, you know what happens, right? The feds show up and they say, uh, we've got it from here. Yeah. We'll, we'll take over the investigation from here. We're in charge now. Do you know what allows them to do that? Higher authority. That's all it is, is higher authority. And this is exactly what Jesus exercises. And Paul says here that he rescued us from the authority of darkness because he has a higher authority. And he takes us, and he takes us out of that, and he transfers us. This is the great transfer that happens to the believer. And every one of us requires, there is not a person who is alive or who has ever lived who does not need in Christ for this transfer to happen, to be moved from one domain into another that he describes here as the kingdom of his beloved son. He places us under a new king, new authority. And that's where we get to, uh, we, we are invited to consider how well we embrace the nature and the kingdom of this new king. Do we like what he has to offer? Well, I mean, think about where we've been so far. We're talking about someone who has absolute sovereignty over all creation. We're talking about somebody who has acted on our behalf. And you know politicians, okay, let's just throw this in one last time. What politician doesn't try to come off as like, I'm working for you, Right? Do you th how many politicians are going to win their elections by saying, I really don't have your best interest in mind? They, just, they don't play that card, do they? Now, whether or not they're sincere or the degree to which it's accurate, they all come off by saying, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm working for you. I'm, I'm working for your best interest. When you talk about Jesus... You've got somebody who is saying, I am working for your best interest. I'm going to do for you what no other person can do for you. I'm going to transfer you out of being lost into a, into a kingdom of being found and redeemed to God. Man, if that's not enough, I don't know what is. So go back with me to the prayer. This is a scriptural prayer that you and I can, we can claim for ourselves. We think Paul, there's not a Christian alive for whom Paul would not have prayed this prayer. It's directed to a church in Colossae, but there's not a Christian alive for whom he wouldn't have prayed this prayer. And I just want you to kind of think for a moment with me about the things for which Paul is praying. In verse 9, he says, I pray for you 
to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Have you ever been in a place in life where you're thinking, man, I just, man, I, I just wish I were more clear about what God wanted for me? How many people have ever said that? Man, I'm just not, I'm just not clear, you know, I'm looking for more clarity about God's will in my life, okay? God doesn't want to withhold that from you, okay? God's will for our life is not supposed to be a mystery. Should we pray for it? Absolutely. We're invited to pray for it. Paul prayed for this on behalf of his people. I want you to understand God's will for your life. Now, here's just kind of as a side note, here's where we usually get in trouble. Because we, we, what we want is that, like that voice from on high. You know, like we've been up on the mountain with Moses, we've seen the burning bush, and we've heard our name called, and, you know, I, I had my roommate in seminary said to me more than once, man, if I could just hear that audible voice, then I would have more confidence. Brother, good luck. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know how often God is doing that anymore, you know. But we don't have to hold out for that clear, audible voice like God is going to send some or, or some written tablet from on high. He's going to, you know, the postal service is going to deliver it in your mailbox and you know, the return address is God. You know, here it is, open it up. This is God's will for your life. I mean, like, this is, I mean, this is your best bet right here, okay? When you take this and, and you study it and you apply it and you, and you, and you pray over it and, and, and you invite, but God's will for your life. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Yes, pray. we're praying for that, okay? So that, and this all kind of goes in a stream, okay? God's will for your life so that, in verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, okay? Have you, have you ever thought, you know, you know what I want? I, I just want to, to be able to live a life that, that meets God's approval, I just want to be able to live a life that, that God would say, that's it. That, that's, I like that. Yes, I, I smile upon that. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like that nearly every day. I just want to walk, I want to be able to live my life in a way that pleases God. Where I usually get trapped is, and, and I've confessed to you my, my personal traits that you know, I'm a people pleaser. And you know what God says about trying to please God and please men? Like, it really doesn't work very well. But my deepest longing is just to be able to walk in a manner as pleasing God. You know? Should we pray about that? Absolutely. This is a prayer that Paul offers for, for the church and for you, that you will be able to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. Uh, he says in verse 11 that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. How many times do we get to that place, place in life where we think, man, I just, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm strong enough to, to stand up and, and to, to be the kind of person God needs me to be? You know, the trials set in. The temptations come our way. We're afraid we're going to fall. We, we, we're afraid that, 
You know, I just don't have the endurance that I need to get through this, this, this dark season of my life. Okay? All of this gets fits in, fit in. Paul prays, I pray that you will be strengthened because the Christian life is one that needs God's strength, His power working in us, that we may be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm sorry, I kind of got... 1 Corinthians 15, 58, you know, it's one of my favorite verses, and so I got started on it and I had to finish it, so there it is. That's not a bad thing, is it? Like, you start quoting a verse and you just have to finish it. Please tell me that's not a bad thing. Okay, thank you. To walk worthy, to be, to, to be strengthened, and think about this last thing, okay? He, he says at the end of verse 11 and then going on into verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Qualified us. He has qualified. Do you know that you have to be qualified to enter the kingdom? Did you know that? <laughs> you might think, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what? Qualifications? Yeah. It suggests that without the qualifications, we're not fit for the kingdom. But that's the good news because he qualified us by going to the cross of Calvary. It's like he shed his blood as an atonement for our sin so that he could say to the Father, let this righteousness be imputed to those who turn to me. That's their qualification. And if he has imputed that to you by your faith in coming to him, you are qualified to be in his kingdom. And you know what that probably should produce in our lives? Joy, thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. One of the things about Christians so often is that we don't, we're just not people of joy. You know, we're, we're walking around like Eeyore Christians. Okay. Oh, happy day. It's so great, you know. Overflowing with joy based on nothing. And it doesn't, it's not joy based on the circumstances. Like, we, we so often get caught up in that. Like, oh gosh, you know, look at your Facebook profile, okay. Oh, everything's just so perfect, you know. All my kids are making straight A's, and you know, I just everything's lined up. And man, if that's if everything in your life is lined up like that, that is fantastic. Everybody's not there, but that's not where the joy of Christianity comes in. The joy of Christianity comes with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, reminding us every day that we are nothing more and nothing less than holy, beloved children of God, born of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of Christ. And that and that alone is plenty of, of, of reason for us to live with joy and thanksgiving. I have a couple of questions for you. Did you think about this prayer? Is, is there one part of it that really resonates with you right now? 
like, I mean, that just seems to be really the way I'm praying right now. You know, to understand God's will for my life or to be, you know, to have more joy in my life or, you know, I just don't feel like I'm walking in a manner worthy. Maybe you're thinking, man, I want, I want all of it. And, and if, it, if it's all of it, that's, that's fine too. But I suspect maybe that for some of us, it's, you know, there's just one part of that. Here's my invitation. Claim this prayer. Claim this prayer. Paul is praying this for the saints of God, and if you are in Christ, you are that saint. Okay. Claim this scriptural prayer. Pray it. Let it resonate. Yearn for it. Let it be your prayer today. Here's the other question. Are you a person who loves the idea of the second coming of Christ? Are you yearning for His appearing? And I don't mean just a, holy cow, this world has gotten so bad, please, Lord Jesus, come now and get us out of this mess. That's not the kind of yearning I'm talking about although I realize that that's tempting. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus. I'm, I love you so much. I'm loving you more every day. I cannot imagine how joyous it's going to be when I get to see you face to face. Lord, if it's not today, then maybe it's going to be tomorrow. But Father, I can't wait for the day that your Son splits the sky and every eye will behold Him. And those who love His appearing are going to rejoice. Does that describe you? If it doesn't, I want to invite you to move that direction. Hear these words that the Apostle Paul wrote at the end of his life. You can find this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And Paul, at this point, just he realizes that his days are numbered. Like it's, 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 I, I know it's coming to an end. And so you start to feel that from him. And Paul talks about this uh, crown of glory that is laid up for him. I know there is laid up for me a crown of glory... crown of victory, that the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's saying, there's coming a day that my, I've, I've served him well, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, I've fought the fight, that crown of glory is laid up. And on that day that I see him face to face, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get that crown. And I love, I love the idea of that day. And Jesus said it's going to be the same for everyone who yearns in the same way for the coming of that day. As we reach this day in the Christian year, we are reminded of the anticipation that we are to have that the promise made to those apostles is going to come true. When they saw Jesus go up in the sky, and they stood there looking up, and the two angels came to them. They said, this, this, this Jesus that you have seen go into heaven is going to return in the same way that you have seen him go. 
Someday that's going to be fulfilled. I hope that we are yearning for that day. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious day it is going to be when we see you face to face. But until then, Father, we want to be faithful. Lord, you are indeed, a, a, you are a king worth following. We give you glory and honor because you deserve it. Father, I pray that uh, this prayer that Paul offered for the church would be our prayer today. I do pray that you would reveal to us your will, that you would make us to be able to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, that you would make us strong for, for our walk in Christ, and that you would fill us with joy for the living of these days. Father, we thank you that you accomplish it, that you love us so much, and we do it in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.